Psalm 95 is where we're heading this morning. And uh, if you've got your Bibles turned there, Psalm 95, we're going to conclude the series, Let the Worshippers Arrive. Today is part five. My intent over the last five weeks uh, is simply been this, is to challenge and provoke you to prioritize worship at a higher place in your life. That your worship to God, the expression of your heart. Remember we talked about the expressions of worship that we practice in church and at home. We talked about clapping and singing and kneeling and shouting and dancing before the Lord. All these, uh, all these expressions. But our worship is not just clapping and singing songs. Most importantly, worship is the way we live our life. It's the way we treat people. It's the way we treat our families. It's our life of obedience to, to, to living to God. But Psalm 95, it's a familiar verse. We've looked at it a time or two. But I want to look at a different phrase in this passage this morning. David the psalmist said, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And here's where we're going today, verse 2. Let us come into... See, when I do this, it, means, it doesn't mean my ear is itching. It means I want you to tell me what's next. We're going to try that again as we school every week, it seems like. Let us come into his presence. Think about that. You and I in our worship can come into the very presence of God. It's not mystical. It's not spooky. It's not weird. What I'll tell you about the presence of God is biblically sound and possible. Um, uh, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. This is likely in song in the context. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So what David is telling us, worship is the door into the presence of God. That our worship is more than singing songs. It's not the part of the service that we hurry up through to get to the preaching of the word. Worship is the way that we touch heaven. And today I'm going to explore or teach you what the Bible teaches about you and I being able to experience the presence of God in everyday life. Surely we should be able to become closer to God when we're in a church service with like-minded people. But I'm going to show you in the Bible that everyday ordinary people like you and I could find the closeness of God. They could experience God. They could experience manifestations of the Holy Spirit at work, um, in the marketplace, uh, wherever they were. And this is when we speak of the presence of God, we talk about being close to God. When I speak of the presence of God, I'm talking about being aware that God is near. I'm talking about manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'm going to address three questions this morning. What is the presence of God? What does it mean? Um, number two, what are some biblical examples of what I'm going to call the manifest presence of God? You know, we'll talk about the omnipresence of God, but there is the manifest presence of God. We'll look from Genesis to Revelation because this is probably a new subject to some. Uh, when I was a boy and went to church, I had no idea that I could expect God to be near. Uh, in my terminology, he was the man upstairs. Uh, God lived in heaven. I'm down here on earth. Uh, hopefully, every once in a while, he'll send me a little help if I need some help. But I had no concept that I could, number one, have a personal relationship with God and that I could be close to God and that I could draw even closer to God as I walk with him. We'll talk about that. And then probably the most important portion uh, point is how do we get closer to God? 
what can I do in my life? What can I do to become more aware of the presence of God? Is that just for super spiritual people or is it a pattern of living life? that I can follow. I, I think this will help today. So let's continue in part five. And we'll begin with the question, what is the presence of God? Now this word presence, if you look just at a, uh, Webster's dictionary, it says it's the state or the fact of being present. It is being near. It is being close by. It is being knowable. But they add an interesting definition to it as well, that that person can be present but not seen. How many know uh, our worship team was on stage with us? And if we think in context of our building, uh, we could say, well, they're gone. They're not here because I don't see them. Well, they're right behind that wall. They're here. They just can't be seen. And this is the picture that I suggest to you when the Bible speaks of the presence of God. The Hebrew word for presence is interpreted most of the times face which implies a closeness, a knowing. And, that, and I'm not implying that you and I will see God face to face. One day in heaven we will. One day when you leave this earth, the Bible says we're going to see God face to face. Uh, and that'll be a cool thing when for the first time in your life, when he hears you call his name, when he hears you call you Steve, when he says Mike, when he says Dorothy, you'll look at him and you'll see him. Revelation says he's going to be our God and we'll be with him. But, but we can be aware that the presence and the reality of God is near. Um, James 4, 8 gives us, and this is probably the most important scripture, and I'll refer to it several times. But James 4, 8, I want you to say this with me. Draw near or come close to God and he will draw near or come close to you. This is New Testament writings. It says, if I take steps towards God... God will take steps towards me. If I will behave in a certain way, and I'll teach you that, if I'll prioritize certain things, God says you'll become more aware of me and I'll be nearer in your life. Uh, the omnipresence of God simply means God is present in all places at all times. Uh, the psalmist said, Psalm 139, he said, I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven... You're there. And if I go to the grave, you're there. So God is everywhere without dividing himself. You say, explain that to me. I can't. He's God. I can't explain the eternal nature of God. God is infinite and I'm finite. I can't understand a timeless dimension called eternity because everything about me as a human being is bounded by a time-space continuum. God lives outside this realm. And the Bible teaches that God is uh, uh, omniscient, all-knowing, but he's also omnipresent. Now, the word about presence that I really want to focus on tonight, this morning though, is this. The manifest presence of God. Manifest means revealed. That is that God reveals himself in a way that's obvious to our understanding. That God reveals himself. Uh, this is not spooky, weird. It's biblically sound. God revealed himself in the book of Acts to Stephen. Stephen was being stoned because of his testimony for Christ. The Bible says he gazed into heaven. What did he see? He said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There was a manifestation of God. So when I talk about the presence of the Lord, I'm not talking about God in a, as a person with his persona, but I'm talking about his acts, his activities. Ananias, you remember, had a vision from God. 
He's just this ordinary guy sitting around home, and all of a sudden he has this vision, and the vision, he says, I want you to go and talk to this man named Saul. And uh, uh, he goes to Saul, and Saul is converted. He becomes Paul, and, and, and he's the missionary to the entire Gentile world. The presence of God came to Ananias in a vision. How about the Apostle Paul himself, Acts 13? All he knew is he loved Jesus. He preached wherever he went. But in Acts 13, there's Christians gathered. They're worshiping. They're praying. And as they gather together, there's a prophecy that comes forth. We'll read it later. But in this prophecy, it instructs him to go into all the nations of the world. And guess what? God's presence manifested itself through this spiritual gift of prophecy. So don't just think about God as an appearance, you know, in his person, but in his actions, in his works as he moves through us. Let me give you some examples, some more examples about what I call the manifest presence of God. I want to look at Old Testament and then I want to look at New Testament. But just some general examples, uh, Adam, for example, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, we're told they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and they hid themselves from what? presence of the Lord. They had kind of a little bit of Jonah going on there. Remember Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord? Uh, and again, we're aware that God is omnipresent, but when he manifests himself, when he reveals himself in some way, we can embrace it or we can walk away from it. How about Moses and the burning bush? Remember this? Remember, I don't like the word story. These are historical accounts in the Bible. The Bible records uh, the history of Moses and Moses is in the wilderness kind of lost looking for what he's going to do. And all of a sudden, a bush is on fire. And he thinks it's, a, he thinks it's perhaps a campfire or something. And he walks over. He, he realizes it's not. But a tree burns, and it doesn't burn out. And he, as he gets closer, he realizes that this fire is a theophany. The presence of God is in their midst. So he takes off his shoes because he's on holy ground. This same Moses went to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, and the, the mountain was covered with smoke. It was, there were peals of thunder and, and appearances of fire. Uh, God often appeared in the fire, for example, on Mount Carmel. You remember the account of Elijah, Elijah the prophet. You remember 950, I think, prophets, pagan prophets, and here's Elijah by himself, and what? Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. These are manifest, manifestations of God on the earth. You say, well, that's Old Testament. How about New Testament? How about the day of Pentecost? Believers are gathered in an upper room. Believers just like us, and they're praying. They're waiting on God. And all of a sudden, something happens suddenly. There's a sound in the air. There's a wind that begins to blow like the howling of the wind, but it was not the wind. It was the wind of God. And all of a sudden, every person in that room, it, it seemed like a, 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 a portion of fire began to fall on their heads as a symbol of God. And they spoke in unlearned languages. And the, the essence of all of it, 3,000 people come to Christ. How about the persecution of Peter and John, Acts chapter 4? Peter and John preached the gospel. The Sanhedrin said, shut your mouths. And they go back to their believers in Acts 4 again to pray. And the Bible says, after their prayer, the meeting place shook. It's a manifestation of God. God's presence was revealed. If this building started shaking, we'd think it was an earthquake and hope the pastor has got us earthquake insurance, which we do, praise the Lord. But that was not a building falling on their heads. That was God just saying, I'm here. 
And then it goes on to add, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that. How about Peter when he's in prison? The church, Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison and he's praying. The church is praying. And all of a sudden, an angel comes and tells Peter to stand up. And Peter's chains fall off his hands. You say, oh, that's impossible. I'm a secularly trained mind. Chains don't fall off their hands like that. Well, listen, I'm a spirit-filled, faith-filled man that believes there's nothing impossible with God. And God showed up and the chains fell off. I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. Whether the agency is through a human being or whether the agency is through an angelic being or God himself or it's just a spoken word. Chains fall off and they walk out. Doors open by themselves. Paul and Silas, after the Philippian encounter with the girl, they get her delivered from a demon. I mean, no, that's the presence of the Lord at work. When you see somebody's bound by some addictive behavior or bound by some demonic activity and they get free, that's the presence of God. Well, then they find themselves in prison. You remember the account, it's midnight, it's late at night, and they're singing hymns to God and praying. And all of a sudden, there's an earthquake. God has manifested himself and more prison doors are open. Listen, we could read over and over again about these times, but I want to read as we think about the presence of the Lord what we said about Jesus and what Jesus said. Matthew 1, it's a prophecy. The virgin will conceive a child and they will call his name Emmanuel, Emmanuel which means God is with us. It doesn't mean God was with us. God will be with us. The declaration is God is with us. And Jesus said, it's going to be better for you if I go away, because if I go away, I'm only one. The Holy Spirit can somehow inhabit every believer. Yeah. The manifest presence of God in our lives. Jesus said this, Matthew 18, where two or three gather in my name. There, where is Jesus? Would Jesus please stand up? You can't see him. He's like the worship team, but he's present with us. And when there are manifestations of spiritual gifts, when on a personal level, his peace floods your soul, when joy takes over when there was depression, the Spirit of God is moving in our midst. This is the manifest presence of God. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, my presence will be with you until the end of time. So this is a little bit of a foundation, but I want to focus more closely on the manifest presence revealed during worship. Now, let's go to the Old Testament first. The dedication of Solomon's temple, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 5, will summarize this story. But Solomon finished all the work on the temple of the Lord. And then the priest came. So the building is done. You, you remember when we dedicated this building? It was on a Friday night. I must confess we didn't have a permit and the city was not happy. I'm, I'm looking for someone to blame it on. But I called and apologized and they said it was okay. They forgave us. Uh, but, but we came in here and we dedicated this empty building to God with prayer and worship on that Friday night. We laid hands on it. We anointed it with oil. We committed it to God. Well, you've got a building. And notice what the Levites did, verse 12. The Levites who were musicians. This is one reason why I believe in music in the church. The New Testament is silent on instruments, but it doesn't say don't have instruments. 
And my hermeneutic is one that if the New Testament doesn't forbid it, the Old Testament should probably go forward into the New Testament. That's particularly the ethical, the moral standards. But there's also this expression of worship is taught to us in the Psalms. So here the musicians are, cymbals, lyres, harps. So in church, in their playing, they raise their voices and praise the Lord with these words saying, Come on, say it loud. He is good. His, his faithful love endures forever. And for the first time, recorded time in the history of man, something happened. At a moment, at that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple. Now, if we saw a cloud and smokish, we would think the building's on fire. Pull the, pull the deal. This was not a fire like that. This was a manifestation of God. His presence was there. The priest couldn't even stand up in their service because of the cloud. Now listen to what it says. The glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. Do, do, you, do you long for something like that? I'm not talking about longing for the cloud. I'm talking about longing for the glorious presence of the Lord. That sense of knowing where you sense God in the room and there's nothing that you can do but in humility. Just lay yourself before him prostrate because he's the Lord and Lord and King of Kings. And somebody else finds great joy and begins to spin around in the dance. It is the presence of the Lord that captured it. Worship was a door into the presence of the Lord. Worship is God's love language. If you have children or grandchildren, uh, uh, one of my grandsons is four, and he's particularly fun to interact with. And because we're away from him uh, uh, some of the time, you know, we can't always be with him. But it's a special time when he quits being silly and says, Pops, I love you. You'll get a kick out of this. Uh, his mom sent me a little t uh, text the other day and said, Henry told us what he's going to get you all for Christmas. He's getting Pops a burrito. He's getting... Uh, uh, Grandma Lonnie uh, Taco, uh, he's getting uh, E.E., the great-grandmother, he's getting her flowers. Uh, he's getting uh, Aunt, uh, Aunt B, which is Bethany, he's getting her a cake, and he's giving Aunt Beck his baby brother Titus. <laughs> he's two. And he's learned not only to be bopped upon, but he's learned to bop back, so two little boys there. But when that kid gets on the phone and he says, Pops, I love you, it just, you melt. If you're fortunate and you have children in your home, and, and, and sometimes those kids are nice and they want to sit in your lap because they want something. But sometimes they just want to sit in your lap and put their head right here. Kind of what John, remember John the Beloved? He wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, he said he leaned his head on Jesus' breast at, one, at a supper. It was not a sexual ex expression, but it was a genuine expression of love towards the Savior. But when a kid does that and they say, I love you, you respond to that child. Well, worship is the way God tends to respond to us. Worship is God's love language. It's an invitation for God to come to his people. When we gather into his house, we should come with full expectation that God will manifest himself and through miracles, through those that need it, that God will manifest himself in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, through, through prophecy, through words of knowledge, words of wisdom and deliverance. These are the manifestations of God. There's a connection between worship and the presence of God.
Now, let me give you a New Testament passage, Acts 13. Uh, prophets and teachers were at the church at Antioch. How many know if the church needed prophets and teachers and apostles back then? Uh, don't you think we need it today? <laughs> don't you think we've not yet reached that place of maturity? Well, there's prophets there, and, and he lists them, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul. Now, listen, this, this is cool. One day, these men were doing what? Worshiping, Worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said... Now, do you think there was just a voice in the air? No. It was, a, a, it was a prophecy through one of these prophets. And I want to suggest to you, this is the manifestation of the presence of the Lord. When this man prophesied the word of the Lord, God was there. Now, prophecy has to be judged, obviously, to be true. But, but a true prophecy, a spiritual gift like this, God is there. And what God said was appoint Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. He sent them out. And today, there's probably two billion, with a B, people around the world, non-Jewish people, who have, are followers of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit did this, but he did it in an atmosphere of worship. Worship opened the door to the prophetic. Worship opens door. You remember when David... They, uh, uh, Saul was being afflicted by an evil spirit. What would he do? He would call for David and David would play the harp and sing. And that evil presence would leave him. I'm telling you, there's something powerful about worship. It's, it's like a magnet for the presence of the Lord. Now, uh, one more thing. What can we expect when God's presence is manifested? I, 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 listen, I don't expect a cloud. That would be cool. Uh, I don't expect bushes to burn. That would be pretty cool, uh, especially in the wintertime instead of a campfire. But there are some things I expect. And one of the most important is the gifts of the Spirit to manifest. Now, let me make this connection between spiritual gifts. When I read this this week, it just kind of, I went, wow. 1 Corinthians 14. You know, that passage is written to show the primacy uh, of prophecy in a local church setting, in a, in a community meeting, uh, because they were distracting people when they spoke in tongues. Now, I'm a big believer in praying in the Spirit and worshiping in the Spirit, but there's a right way and a right time. So he says, if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers... Or people who don't understand. Now, how many know all of us have been and are at times of our life where we don't fully understand the things of God? Well, they don't understand these things, and someone prophesies, you'll be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. And that's a good thing. Their secret thoughts will be exposed. They'll fall to their knees and worship God. Now, here's my point. They are declaring in response to this prophecy, God is truly here among you. God is here. It was not a cloud. It was not God in a persona like a man, a picture. But it was through the spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit was at work, and they recognized the presence of God was there. Now, that's one big way. And another way we can expect the presence of God is in a very personal way in our lives. How about, uh, and the first way I'll suggest to you is peace. Anybody been in a place in life that was just real tough and real difficult and you didn't know what you were going to do and you were fretful, anxious, and worried, but as either you prayed or somebody prayed for you, I'm going to use words that we use. I just had this warm feeling, this special feeling. Something was on me. I don't know what happened. I don't know what, what it was, but I, want, I was afraid and anxious, and now I have peace. Friends, that's the presence of God. That's the Holy Spirit. 
uh, how about being delivered from evil? I have talked to people who have been instantaneously delivered from drugs. I've watched others that struggled a lifetime. I cannot explain it. But I've watched people in the presence of the Lord have an encounter with God and that drug, that addictive behavior, probably with a demonic connection to it that had rule over their life, they were free from it. That is the presence of the Lord. Didn't the Bible say, he whom the Son sets free? What is this? We're talking about God's presence in the lives of the people. Uh, How about joy? The psalmist said, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And sometimes all you can do is clap and shout and and, and sing. So now let's get into the, the, the really the heart of the message now. How do we get closer to God and become aware of his presence? I guarantee you, whether you're a mature, dedicated Christian, a baby Christian, or maybe you're skeptical and checking out the Christian faith, everyone in this room would like to be closer to God. Everyone in this room wants what I'm talking about because we were created that way. I became a Christian. Just because you're born to Christian parents or baptized in a Christian church as a baby, sprinkled, or or, or dedicated, or your parents are Christians, that doesn't mean that you're a Christian. You have to be born again, born a second time, a spiritual rebirth. And at that rebirth place, and listen, it can happen to you today. It happens when we pray and ask Christ to come into our life, when we believe that Jesus is the Savior and willing to follow him. See, we are born again. We're made new on the inside. And at that very point in time, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us. And then God becomes more real. Now, becoming close to God, let me remind you of the scripture, James 4, 8. Draw near to God and God will. In other words, take steps to God. God will take steps to you. So he's not the man upstairs. He's my God. He's close to me. I want to I teach you this. In, in the, uh, the life and the life message of three people, Jesus, uh, Stephen, and David. L- look, at, uh, look at Jesus first. How many would agree that there was no human being that ever lived that was ever closer to God the Father than Jesus? Now, we know that Jesus was God the Son. He was fully God. We also know he was born of a virgin and born into this world as a man, somehow, they, they, he's not half God, half man. He is a God-man. He was a man to identify with our sinfulness. He was a God so he could be perfect to pay the price for our sins so we wouldn't have to. But Jesus was closer to God the Father than any other person on earth that's ever lived. I think I have a, an understanding why. And I'll show you three scriptures. The first was the way he started his day. He started his day with God. Mark chapter 1, it was early in the morning. Jesus went to a solitary solitary place and he prayed. Now, look, I'm all for praying when you're watching TV. You can't, I can't do much praying in TV, but I'm, I'm all for praying, you know, in the car when I'm driving down the road. And that can be a pretty cool time to turn the radio off driving. But there's something about just finding a quiet, alone place. Some call it their prayer closet. Why? Because it's a little darker. You can't see everything. I I have this curse 
that I, I see details. And if I walk around this sanctuary, I, I, I see where all the paper is. I see what nails didn't get puttied. I, I see what chairs, I, I just can't help it. So for me, it, it's better if it's a little bit darker. And if I don't have music playing, so I, I'm not listening to the song because I just want all my senses, I want all my mind to be focused on God. Now, but Jesus didn't just do it in the morning. Uh, Mark chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people. The miraculous feeding, 5,000 men. Uh, there, there were thousands of women and children. So look at it this way. There was a big event that happened in the middle of the day. Look what Jesus did. He made his disciples go ahead of him. He dismisses the crowd. And then he goes on to a mountainside to pray. Lastly, Luke chapter 6, before he made a big decision. What do I do? God, show me what to do. He goes off to a mountain to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. The next morning, he chose 12 people. I've never spent nine hours praying to God, but I have spent some of those hours talking to God and some of those hours just being still. I've spent hours resting in the presence of the Lord. I've spent hours or minutes praying under my breath in the spirit as I was just in the, in, in the twilight of the morning. There's something about being with God. Not just when I need something, not just when I've done my devotion and then I can live my day, but walking with God. Uh, the, the message in this, Jesus teaches us, is that spending time with God in quiet communion and prayer is a door into his presence. And if you want to sense his presence and know what he's saying, take some time to be alone with God. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let me give you another one that I think is huge for us. Uh, it's actually remarkable what happened in this man named Stephen. And the second way that you and I can become closer to God, to be in his presence, is to live a life yielded to the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to me on this one. Uh, the early church was booming. Thousands of people were, had come to Christ. Uh, there was a neglect among the people, the feeding of the Grecian widows. And now there's complaints. And the apostles said, here's what we're going to do. Choose seven men who have master's degrees in supply chain logistics. We could use them in America today, I think. But choose seven men who are known to be what? full of the spirit and these are people in the feeding ministry full of the spirit and wisdom and they chose Stephen let's jump ahead a, a few verses Stephen is now witnessing to the Jewish Sanhedrin they see God all over his life and they're, 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 he's on trial and ultimately they're going to kill him but look at Acts six fifteen. all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the he glowed. You say, well, is that the only time in the Bible? No, didn't Moses, when he would go into the tabernacle of meeting and he'd come out, he would put a, a, a covering over his face because the glory of God was shining on his life? So Stephen depicts us as a man full of the Spirit. In other words, uh, God's just all over him. And, and, you know, not because he was in a monastery, but because he was close to God. You can be close to God like that. You can have a job. You can still do your hobbies and go duck hunting and have fun and be married and have kids and go fishing and cut the grass and be full of the Spirit. 
Uh, let me read you one more. This is when they're getting ready to kill him. Jewish leaders were infuriated by what he said to them. But Stephen, once again, full of the Holy Spirit, and this is important, gazed into heaven. Now, they're throwing rocks at him to kill him. And he looks up with expectation. He sees the glory of God. It's like there's a curtain that separates this dimension from the dimension, the spiritual dimension where angels and demons and God's, God abides. And it's like it got zippered and it, the zipper opened. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This was the presence. Now, I want to focus on this place, not just the, the enormity of what we just read, but how did it happen? What does it mean to be full of the Spirit? Clearly, there is a starting place, salvation. Clearly, there's a second place, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's what, 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 what John the Baptist said Jesus would do, baptize with the Spirit. It happened on the day of Pentecost. It happened throughout the book of Acts. It was the second encounter with the Holy Spirit. But there's something else that Ephesians gives us a hint into. Ephesians tells us not to be drunk with wine because it, wine alters you, it changes you, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, just as wine makes you drunk, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with God. You'll be a different person. You'll be changed. And this is what uh, uh, other translations interpret, full of the Spirit, whom the Spirit can direct. Well, how many know the Spirit can only direct a willing person? The Spirit can't direct me if I'm in rebellion. Uh, another translation, whom the Spirit possesses or controls. This is what I want to be. I don't want to be controlled by my flesh. I want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. He's living inside me. Jesus said he'll teach me, he'll guide me, he'll comfort me, he'll tell me things to come. I want to be connected to that. Allowing the Spirit to work through them. And the best way I can tell you to experience God's presence continually is to deliberately yield to the Holy Spirit's control every day. You say, well, how do I know when it's the Holy Spirit and when it's, when I, when it's not? Keep at it. If you'll roll out of bed and you'll say, Lord, I give you my life today. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I'm going to depend on you. I'm trusting you to lead me and guide me uh, today. Holy Spirit, take over. You're entering a journey of a spirit-led life where this will become real to you. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Let me give you the third one. And I need three or four minutes, literally. Three or four minutes, who'll give me three or four? One, two, three. That's 12. That's all I need. Follow the example of David. Now, obviously, David told us to be a worshiper. That's one thing we'll I'll tell you. But here's another one. David would tell us, if you want the presence of God in your life, don't let sin control you. Now, Bathsheba, you remember the little story? Cute gal, top of the roof, taking a bath. David looking and looking and looking and finally telling her to come on over and let's play house. And she gets pregnant and he kills her husband and it's horrible. But the New Testament said David's a man after God's own heart. Didn't say he was perfect. So what happened? Sin crept in and messed things up. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 51. God blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me from my guilt. Can I tell you, friends, guilt is a good thing because it brings you to it should bring you to repentance. And when you're forgiven, you don't have any more guilt. Wash me from my guilt. Create a clean heart, not a polluted heart. What's verse 11 say? Don't banish me 
Is it just possible that sin can push God away? The New Testament calls it quenching the Spirit. The New Testament calls it grieving the Spirit. If I'm going to be full of the Spirit, I can't be full of sin. It's like sin and the Spirit can't coexist in me. Now, I'm not talking about the battle. All of us, we've not arrived at sinless perfection. And all of us are in a struggle against sin. How I many know as long as you're struggling, you're going to be okay? But it's when you just invite sin and accept it as a part of your life. Sin separates us from God. Purity and holiness draw him closer. Uh, David said, uh, who shall stand in God's holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. I hope at this very moment you'll just say, Lord, help me live a pure life. Help me live a godly life. I, I don't want to just get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. I want to live for Christ all the time. Sin is like a, a skunk. I was coming to church last, uh, this morning? No, last night. Anyway, I was coming to church last night or this morning. And uh, there was a skunk dead on the road right down from Pastor Mike's house. I started to pick it up and drop it off, but I, I, uh, Linnell wouldn't get out of the car and get it. So I, I, you'll have to get Sharon to get him today. When I saw that skunk, you know what I did? I veered in the other lane because I didn't want that skunk scent to get on my tires because it would stay with me. Can we see sin as a skunk and get away from it? And I'll close with this. Be a worshiper. This is what David told us. Remember what David said? If you want the presence of the Lord, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. And the context suggests thanksgiving that's in a, in a song. Make a joyful noise with songs of praise. Worship and bow down before our Lord. He is our God and we're the people of his pastor. David taught us worship is a door into the presence of God. And that's what I hope you and I will become. We'll become deeper, more deliberate worshipers here at church, but at home, in the car, in the duck blind, wherever we are. Come on. When we behold his glory, we give him the praise that he's due. Come on, give him a good hand this morning. I want to close with this. It's kind of a, a prayer, but my prayer and my hope for you and me is that the presence of God would be the defining mark of our life. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. You remember Moses leading the children of Israel through the wilderness? They're going to the promised land. Here's a conversation God and Moses had, Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, show me your way that I may know you. You want to know why Moses was such a great man? His heart was, show me your way so I can know you. But listen to what he says. He, and God said, my presence will go with you. And Moses said this, if your presence doesn't go up with us, don't bring me out of here. In other words, Lord, I want to live in your presence. I want to walk with you. I want to run when you say run. I want to stop when you say stop. I want to be close to you. How many can say, that's my prayer. I want to be close to God. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet right now. And we're going to have a, a closing song, but I want you to use this song to activate what we've been talking about. 
let worship come from your heart. It's an intimate song. I'll also make room for this. If you're here today and you want prayer after service, I want to encourage you just during this song, slip up out of your chair and just come and kneel before the altar. And someone will come behind you, one of our prayer team members, and they'll pray for you. But also, if you're here and say, Pastor, my greatest need is just to get right with God. My greatest need is to have a relationship with Christ. I want this kind of close walk that you're talking about, but I don't have it. You see, until we come to a place in life where we ask God for forgiveness of our sins and turn and follow Him, we'll never have it. Are you trying to find happiness and meaning and peace in life through, you pick, success, money, drugs, relationships? I'll tell you, it's not there. The place you'll find true happiness in life is when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And whether it's your first time or perhaps you've gotten away from God and today is the day you want to come back. During this song, I want to invite you to just slip out of your chair and make your way to the cross and just kneel there and talk with God and then somebody will come and pray with you and talk with you as well. But before they sing this song, I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to just, I want to ask the question, what has the Holy Spirit been saying to you today? Maybe there's a commitment you make to the Lord now. Maybe there's a skunk in your life. And you have to realize it's got perfume on it and it's disguising what it really is. But if it's a skunk, why don't you just make a commitment to the Lord? Ask him, help me get rid of that. Ask the Lord to help you now. Be like Jesus. He spent time with God in the morning. He remembered God during the day. It's like he walked with God. Maybe it was that part of Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you have a battle between your will and God's. Why don't you just give the Holy Spirit complete control? Help us, Holy Spirit. Come on, reach your hands out to heaven now. And just say, God, I want to be close to you. I want to be closer to you in the days ahead. Help me, Lord, become aware of your presence and a conduit of your presence to other people. In Jesus' name. They're going to sing. If you need prayer, want to get right with God, come over to the cross as we sing. <laughs>